This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Retail has obviously been hard hit, very hard hit by COVID-19, and today we're going to listen in on the discussion about how retailers will reopen. We'll share a recent call that Goldman Sachs Research had with Brian Dodd, President of the Retail Industry Leaders Association, accompanied by Goldman Sachs' Kate McShane, Alice Walvis, and Jenna Gianelli, who all cover the retail sector. The call was held on Tuesday, May 5th, 2020. Hope you find this call informative. And now, over to that discussion. Good afternoon. This is Kate McShane, Goldman Sachs Broadlines and Hardlines Analyst. I am joined today by Alex Walvis, Goldman's Specialty Retail Department Store and Apparel and Footwear excuse me, brand analyst, and Jenna Gianelli, who covers retail for Goldman's High Yields Research Team. We are lucky to be hosting a second call today with Brian Dodge, president of the Retail Industry Leaders Association, or RELA. If you joined us for the first call we had with Brian, it took place all the way back on March 25th, when we were truly in the throes of the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. The level of uncertainty at the time was very overwhelming. And when we spoke to Brian during that period, our question centered on if stores would be closed longer than two weeks, what policies could help the retail industry in terms of stimulus, and if we could see rent concessions. Now, almost six weeks later, we are in a very different spot where many are at least starting to think about reopening. While our questions are different for this call, the level of uncertainty and questions on how things will play out remain the same. We look to uh, Brian today to speak to us about how retailers are starting to plan for the opening of stores, how they'll be staffed and stocked. We also plan to ask uh, how retailers are thinking about safety and the cost of making both employees and customers safe. And finally, how we should be thinking about expenses like rent and labor in a likely reduced volume environment. We're going to be conducting this call in the form of a fireside chat where Alex, Jenna, and I will ask Brian several questions. And then we're going to open it up to the audience for questions. In addition, by attending this conference, you provide Goldman Sachs the right to record and redistribute the conference information. The views of the third-party speakers do not necessarily reflect those of Goldman Sachs. And then finally, we are required to make certain disclosures and public appearances about Goldman Sachs' relationships with companies that we discuss. The disclosures relate to investment banking relationships, compensation received, or 1% or more ownership. We're prepared to read aloud disclosures for any issue or upon request. These disclosures are available in our more recent reports and available to you on our firm portal. Uh, and now with that all out of the way, Brian, thank you again for joining us today. I'm going to kick it off with, with a couple of questions. Um, Great. Thanks for having me. Brian, when we when we last spoke to you, as I kind of mentioned in the opening remarks, it, it was a a very um, uncertain, fluid time, and I think you still describe um, this period of time as fluid, uncertain as well. But fifty percent of retail, I think, on March twenty fifth was closed, and we're finally at a point where reopening seems to be starting. I wondered if you could tell us where we are now in the number of doors that are back up and running, um, and then if you could maybe walk through how retailers are approaching reopening um, with regards to state restrictions and, and other limitations. 
Sure. Uh, and again, thank you for having me. March 25th seems like years and years ago, and the world has changed quite a bit since then. Uh, to the to your question, you know, in terms of doors open, I don't know if there has been a material change in the total number uh, since we were we were together on March 25th. However, I do think that you've seen far more activity and utilization of the stores in in ways outside of the norm. So you see many retailers who are doing uh, curbside pickup, uh, even if the stores are closed, they're doing ship from store to get more capacity out of their e-commerce platform. Um, so there is a lot of um, creative innovations that have been employed to ensure that retailers are able to serve their customers and, and maximize the, the opportunity for sales during this period of time when the stores are closed. Looking ahead, um, you know, we are preparing now, retailers are preparing for that next step, which is opening. And I think it's important to recognize uh, that the opening process is going to be a rolling one. Uh, and it will differ from company to company in terms of timing. It will differ from uh, state to state and company to company. Um, what we're trying to do, and uh, last week we, in, in coordination with our members, rolled out a blueprint uh, for states to use as they start to think through the reopening process. And that's important for, for a few different reasons, not the least of which is if you look at how the restrictions were put into place, in early March. They were done so on a state-by-state -state basis. They were done over the course of a, a week, but probably a little bit less than a week. And understandably so, and, and not with uh, uh, criticism intended, uh, a bit chaotically uh, as, as states tried to, to, to institute rules, uh, they kind of improvised on what those rules were. Well, now we've had a full month or more uh, of operation under restrictions. We've learned a lot about how to keep uh, team members and uh, customers safe in these stores, but from those who have been operating over this period of time. And so we've built this blueprint to give governors a tool to use to establish a more streamlined set of proven practices from state to state that can be employed, that can be required, and that retailers will employ to ensure uh, the safety of the folks inside of their stores. This is intended to demonstrate retailers' readiness so that when the public health considerations of governors reaches the point where they feel comfortable to reduce these restrictions, that they know that retailers have the practices in place to keep customers safe. So that's where we're moving to now. You're seeing the retailers who have been closed are preparing those practices. Uh, they're looking at the things that they need to do inside their stores to allow for social distancing, how they need to prepare their staffs for those practices, how they need to access things like PPE uh, in order to, to meet these standards. And so they're preparing for that now and waiting for the green light um, from, from the states. One last point around considerations for reopening. So the state's green light for them to do so is, is just one. It's a very important consideration, but it's just one consideration. The other ones are, are the employees ready to come back to work and are the customers ready to shop? And retailers are looking at, they're getting a pulse on those things as well. Uh, some are able to do so based on the volume of uh, e-commerce and curbside and other things that they're doing locally. They're also looking at other indicators in the area that are giving them an insight of whether the customer feels like they're ready to come out of their house. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, this might be jumping the gun a little bit, but I guess since we have heard and seen, you know, some retailers 
uh, open now in, in certain states. Uh, do you have any data or any anecdotal uh, evidence in terms of how customers are responding to the open doors? You know, only anecdotal. I'll, I'll give um, the data that we have seen, and I can't quote it by the numbers because I don't haven't retained it that way. Anything that's data driven, I can give you from from China. Uh, anything uh, U.S. would be anecdotal. Uh, China, you know, you see a re- relatively slow increase in store traffic. Um, conversions are below uh, the the typical level. For a period of time, but it's a slow and steady uh, uh, increase. But it does not start with a bang. I don't think anybody would expect that to happen necessarily here either. Uh, for those who have anecdotally shared where they have opened in the U.S., uh, they have been the experiences have been remarkably positive. Uh, the employees uh, who have come back now, just keep in mind these are these are retailers who have been very careful about where they've chosen to open. So these are places that have not had the spikes that are all too familiar to those who live in New York, Boston, DC, uh, Chicago, and other ones. So picking areas that are outside of those hot zones. And so the employees are generally eager to get out of their homes and get back to work. And the customers are excited to be able to uh, satisfy their, their, their cravings uh, uh, for, for shopping. And so they have been remarkably positive thus far, but um, you know, it's, it is early, uh, but that is a, certainly a positive sign. Okay, great. Um, and then maybe if you could uh, talk to us, Brian, about um, how retailers are conveying you know, some of the changes to consumers, because I think it seems like, you know, once the shelter in place is lifted, it's, it's really not going to go back to normal. Um, how should we think about how the retailers are preparing in terms of procuring enough safety equipment, um, being able to maintain social distancing, and how they will convey, convey that to the customers? Right. So great question. You know, the practices, uh, they're, they're pretty straightforward. I think anybody who's been to a grocery store has experienced them. You're going to see metering in the stores. So something likely less than 50% of store capacity or uh, a four, four or five people per thousand square feet, some variation of that uh, to limit the crowds inside of stores. You're going to see uh, when those capacities are reached, you're going to see queuing outside the stores. You're going to see queuing at the register to ensure um, uh, proper distance. Uh, face face, covering, face coverings uh, for store staff are going to be commonplace. They already are. Um, so you should come to expect that. Um, you know, in terms of acquiring the things nece- necessary for operating in this environment, here the retailers who have been closed understood that these supply chains were going to be strained and uh, started the process of making those orders pretty early. Uh, so, as we understand it, uh, face coverings are uh, in modest. Uh, the, the challenges of getting those are, are modest. They're, they're pretty accessible. Uh, particularly because the requirement is not for surgical grade face coverings with cloth coverings, things of that sort. Uh, what's a bit, been a bit more challenging, and you've seen some states adjust some of their rules around it, has been disinfectant type uh, cleaning supplies uh, to make sure that, that they can have those. Um, so that has, that's been uh, their area of focus. Kate, there's another part of your question that's eluding me right now. Um, just how they're how um, the retailers are conveying it to the customers. Oh, how they're conveying it. Yeah, 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 great, yeah. great, great, great point. So I think uh, you've seen some really good examples of it, and I won't claim to have seen all of them. But Best Buy put out a notice last week uh, announcing that they were uh, reinstating their 
uh, delivery, home delivery uh, for appliances and things of that sort. Uh, and they did that with a lengthy message from Corey Berry, their CEO, uh, but also included a video uh, to give those who may use the in-home delivery a sense of what that'll actually look like. Similarly, Starbucks did something last week, uh, much like that, where they gave customers a sense of what it's going to look like to go inside of a Starbucks. And I think that's really smart and important right now. Uh, we are going to be in a, new, in a new normal. If people have been locked inside their homes now for six plus weeks and haven't been out, they um, this is a good way for them to be exposed to what that's going to be like. Uh, we're going to be in this for a period of time. It's not clear exactly how long. And giving customers the sense of what they're going to encounter when they when they get to the stores, I think, is another piece of giving them uh, the comfort of going outdoors and leaving their home uh, when it's appropriate to do so. Okay, great. And then my last question, and then I'll turn it over to Alex, is, you know, we've heard some of the grocers and the broadline retailers that have been um, managed to stay open and and, uh, have had very high demand for their consumables have been hiring additional workers from places where they've been furloughed. So from retail, from hotels, from from the airline industries. Um, Is there any risk that it might be tough to get some of these workers back? So the uh the answer generally is no uh the furlough the rules of furlough require employees to come back when uh when their employer uh calls them back um i think the language around that is a little bit more uh, uh legally than, than i just put it but they're they're required to come back and if they don't they surrender the unemployment insurance that they're collecting at that time um, so the incentive is there for them to come back. And this was really the design in the CARES Act was to ensure that employees stayed connected to their, their primary employer uh, and that employers continue to pay health insurance and things of that sort. So generally speaking, uh, it should be relatively smooth. There will undoubtedly be examples where, uh, where people do not. Um, uh, certainly, any, any instances where it was a layoff as opposed to a furlough makes that more complicated. You need to hire people in order uh, to, to get them back to work if they've been laid off. Brian, this is Alex Wolvis, uh, adding my thanks to Kate for joining us today. Uh, one of the biggest conversations, certainly in the power space and indeed elsewhere in CPG and so forth, is um, inventory management. Um, we're seeing sharp volatility in inventory, whether it's filled in categories like apparel or um, more rapid depletions elsewhere. Uh, can you talk about you know how retailers are managing the staggered store openings when it comes to inventory management? How are they you know thinking about the flow of products and so forth? Yeah, it really is uh, on a, a retailer by retailer basis. I think they are uh, there is no playbook for this, and so some of the questions that they're they're trying to ask themselves are you know what are the proper demand signals for them to utilize to place orders, um, and I think that's going to be different from from retailer to retailer. Uh, what we know is that they have uh, in some cases they have inventory that they need to figure out what to do with, uh, perhaps inventory that won't make it to the shelves or needs to come off to the shelves uh, because of the season having passed. Uh, are they going to dispose of that in some way? Are they going to box it up? Um, and I think a lot of each, each company is going to make a decision that's best for them. Um, but the ordering process is, is really going to be uh, the new frontier given the challenges that they, that they are encountering right now. Very clear. And you know, to follow up on some of the questions that you know, Kate had asked, 
the number of these stores have been closed for some time now. Um, do you expect that to be retail locations that won't reopen at all? You know, I think that's going to be more of a business decision. Uh, so that if the business believes that, you know, there's stores that don't make sense to open for whatever reasons they apply. Um, you know, I think we've seen some retailers announce that they intend to reopen all stores. Others have said that they may not. Um, so it'll be something that they consider on a case-by-case basis. I think our focus right now is ensuring that they have the ability, where it's appropriate to do so, to make that decision um, uh, you know, of themselves as opposed to uh, because restrictions limit their ability to do it. Understood. And then, you know, I have a a question on Omnichannel. Um, you know, a number of these retailers are trying out, you know, curbside pickup, um, you know, other features to aid with the customer purchase process. Um, do, do you think retailers are well enough set up to, to pivot their businesses? I mean, some of these companies have been doing Omnichannel for some time, others are reasonably new to it. Um, you know, it looks like more retailers are focused on buy online pickup and store, buy online ship and store, and so forth. Um, are you seeing an acceleration in investments? Absolutely. Um, necessity is the mother of adventure. Of, 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 uh, uh, what's my, my uh, innovation? Uh, so they have recognized that in order to uh, preserve sales volume, they've had to try new things, and in some cases, that's required them to um, uh, to pull forward investments if they're capable of doing so. Um, there's been an analogy, and it's probably been used by more than one CEO, but uh, for the last several weeks, every day has been um, uh, Cyber Monday. So they have had to look for creative ways to get more volume out of their e-commerce channels. Uh, and in some cases, that has been fulfilled from stores that have been closed and others it's been buy online pickup in stores and others they've been utilizing the traditional delivery model. Uh, so lots of innovation in there. I think it's also trained customers. Customers have gotten new experiences with um, the e-commerce um, and um, you know digital digitally enabled commerce uh, such that they're likely to stick with some of these things going forward. Both, uh, uh, curbside pickup has been incredibly popular uh, and I suspect it's only partially because of the contactless uh, element of it, it's also quite convenient. Uh, so, you know, I would I would expect to see you know retailers one have will learn a lot of lessons from their own uh, experimentation. They will likely have identified places to make investments that will uh, uh, persist past the point where they're required to do these things uh, to make up for closed stores. And uh, final question from me before I pass over to Jenna. Um, c- can you share your thoughts on the current state of play regarding you know, tariff um, uh, uh, legislation? How do you expect it to evolve from here and how might that impact retailers? Yeah, uh, it's still a, a, a an issue of great focus uh, for retailers and other industries as well. Uh, you know, there has been modest efforts undertaken by the administration to provide some duty relief uh, around a certain set of products from a certain set of nations. Um, but of course, the the fees that retailers uh, uh, face for the input uh, import of goods is exceptionally high. Uh, left out of the, um, uh, the relief that was provided now two or three weeks ago were imports from China. And of course, that's uh, the lion's share of volume. Uh, so we are we remain hopeful that the administration will see fit to 
extend the duty relief uh, to include a, a larger share of, of the, the tariffs that are due. Uh, and we hope that uh, Congress will do its part to weigh in with the administration to encourage them to do so. It is by and large an administration uh, uh, decision uh, around uh, tariffs, uh, but you know certainly Congress can uh, uh, provide some encouragement. Hi, Ryan. This is uh, this is Jenna. I'm just going to follow on with some questions. I guess staying on that topic of, of the administration. I know last time we talked about uh, potential, you know, stimulus efforts. Um, can you share with us your latest thoughts there and any particular benefits or implications, the greatest ones that you are seeing for retailers right now from stimulus efforts? Great question. Yeah, great question. So, you know, first and foremost, we Congress needs to make sure that the credit markets continue to flow. So uh, when we don't anticipate that they will take action on a next round of relief until at the earliest later uh, this month, later in May, uh, could slip into June. The, so ensuring that the credit markets continue to flow, the Federal Reserve has done uh, and the Treasury have done really great work there. Want them to continue to be focused on that uh, and adjust any needs. Uh, second is ensuring that uh, there is continued um, uh, safety net for those who are out of work, uh, making sure those people are able to stay financially comfortable uh, and not risk uh, further degrading the the economy. I think outside of those, and I should note uh, tariff relief, you know, anything that Congress can do in there to encourage additional tariff relief uh, would be helpful. And two other buckets that I think are worth noting. Um, one is around uh, liability for businesses. Um, there are many businesses that have had an obligation to operate during a particularly challenging time, and it would be uh, uh, and to ensure that families have the things that they need um, uh, it will be important for Congress to consider the risk that those businesses now face uh, from the plaintiff's bar uh, and to provide some sort of liability uh, mitigation to ensure that there's, they're not uh, deluged with lawsuits um, uh, that, that hurt their ability to function going forward. The other piece is uh, considerations around relief uh, related to rents. Uh, the landlord uh, uh, tenant uh, relationship has been strained a bit uh, during this period of time as businesses have been unable to have been focused on uh, maintaining their their cash balance, uh, and so there uh, will hopefully be efforts undertaken by Congress to provide some relief and guidance on how to uh, resolve those disputes. That's helpful. I'm actually going to skip ahead to one of my other questions on rent, uh, given that you brought it up. I I'm curious. Now, absent anything coming, you know, from from Congress, but just um, as retailers think about reopening in instances where they haven't paid rent, um, but they're going to be opening, let's say, at a lower capacity, only 50 percent of people allowed in the doors, et cetera, whatever, how it's stipulated. Do you think that they're going to try to say, OK, we're open, we'll pay you 50 percent of rent, or will they start paying like normal again? I guess. How do you think that that payment of rent is going to evolve or how are those conversations now playing out um, as the conversation starts for, you know, the retailers to reopen? Yeah. I, you know, I don't have a great deal of visibility into the individual conversations and I um, probably disappoint you with my answer, but I think it honestly is a conversation uh, retailer by retailer uh, with all of their landlords. Uh, it, it, there's just a, a lot of 
uh, variations uh, or variables, I should say, that would impact the success of negotiations from location to location. I think what we know is that there's strain throughout the entire ecosystem from the retailers paying the property owners from the property owners paying the banks and the insurers who, who back all of it up. Uh, and so all of those parties are going to have to work together to get some sort of larger scale solution. Uh, and that's what we're hopeful uh, we'll be able to uh, pursue. Thanks. Um, and I guess this is more of a, a macro question and, and one that's occurring a lot now among, you know, just investors and everybody. Um, but how do you think retailers are planning um, in terms of a recovery? Do you think it's they're thinking their base case is V-shaped, L-shaped, U-shaped, W, like whatever your letter is? What would you say the base case is, is the retail industry is thinking about a recovery? Uh, you know, I, I have sat through much like I'm sure you have many, many presentations around, uh, expectations. I think they run the gamut it all depends on, on things that are unknowable right now, which is around the duration of the stay at home orders and the risk of a, uh, a second wave of this. So I think, you know, everyone looks at their, their bull, their bear and their, their, their kind of midway case. Uh, and hopes for the best, but you know I think everyone has the obligation to be prepared for for the worst. Right, right, understood. Um, and just my final one. I know we did talk a, a bit about employees and the process of, you know, um, you know, returning to work. You mentioned that in some of the lesser affected states where they're starting to reopen, you're seeing, you know, a, a lot of willingness and wanting to come back to work. Um, in some of those more affected areas where it might be more of a sensitive issue. Are there conversations going on around, um, you know, I guess incentives, right, or overtime or bonuses, anything to kind of entice maybe people to, you know, want to come back a little bit more, um, you know, when things start reopening? Yeah, you know, I have not heard that discussed as an incentive to bring people back, but there, you've seen retailers that have been open uh, utilizing a variety of different incentives from, you know, increased pay for a period of time, uh, you know, a permanent increase in salary. Um, others have offered uh, other more creative things on top of that. Um, and one retailer uh, offering, particularly in those early days when uh, the grocery supply chains were, were stretched, um, that distribution center employees could, uh, they partnered with a grocery store to allow distribution employees to buy milk, eggs, toilet paper, things of that sort at the end of their day so to, to just make that convenient for them. So there's a variety of ways that they've incentivized employees to come to work and to stay at work uh, during this period of time, recognizing that the challenges are not only their discomfort uh, with leaving their homes, and sometimes their, their challenges are things as simple as if I have to work this shift, then I can't get to the grocery store in time to get the things that I need because typically they are best stocked at the time that I would be at work. So I think you'll see retailers continue to be creative in how they um, they target their incentives towards their, their unique needs of the employees in a location or in their region. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This does conclude today's conference call. You may disconnect your phone lines at this time and have a wonderful day. Thank you for your participation. That concludes this episode of Exchange of the Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And tune in for our weekly market update Friday morning, where we'll hear from a leader around the firm who provides a quick take on the latest in market action. 
This podcast was recorded on May 5th, 2020. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.